As I prepare and plan to go on holidays, I often imagine in my head what the place is going to be like that you're going to. I'm sure you guys do this too. If you've never been to a place before, you imagine what it's going to look like. You know, what the weather is going to look like. What the buildings are going to look like. What are the people going to be like? What are you going to get up to and how fun is that going to be? We were landing in Los Angeles and of course I had built up in my head what I had expected Los Angeles to be like. Uh, I went with my sister and on the car to the airport, maybe this is the wrong, you guys are the wrong age for this, but we were listening to the Miley Cyrus song, Party in the USA. You know, I hopped off the plane at LAX with my dream and my cardigan, welcome to the land of fame and excess, am I going to fit in? We were staying in an area west of Hollywood at a youth hostel, and whilst I expected some areas of the CBD in Los Angeles to be run down and poor, you know, the famous Skid Row, I expected Hollywood and Beverly Hills and Santa Monica to be glitzy places, to be rich, to be well-kempt, with impressive buildings and impressive cars and impressive houses, with luxury shops. Now, if you've been to Los Angeles, you'll know that that is an incorrect expectation of what Los Angeles is actually like. It was not at all like I expected. While there were obviously small, very small pockets of very, very wealthy neighbourhoods, many other areas, including Hollywood, including Santa Monica, were run down. They were dirty. They were filled with people struggling, people in poverty, so many people homeless. Poverty was everywhere. Desperate people were everywhere. That city was not what I expected. You know, how could this city of fame and excess in the richest country on earth have such poverty and homelessness? And in that moment, I felt like so many people in Los Angeles had been blessed with wealth, but an even greater number had been cursed with poverty and drug addiction and desperateness. Just as Los Angeles as a city was not as I expected, Jesus in this passage with these blessings, he lays out a vision for the city of God, this kingdom, and a vision for his followers and a vision for the church, which is so unexpected. It's not what we would expect. In fact, he lays out a vision which I think seems completely opposite to what, as humans, we expect something great to be like. What we see here is that God doesn't value the things that we value, and actually he flips upside down or perhaps right side up what our expectation for his kingdom and for people that follow him is like. And I think perhaps we see that Jesus would not have had the same reaction to Los Angeles as I did. Perhaps he would have thought a different group of people were blessed and a different group of people were cursed than I did. So in this passage, we see this surprising nature of this city of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus is building. So we pick up this passage, as Chris mentioned, with Jesus, he's up on a mountainside praying, and then this massive moment comes. He chooses his 12 disciples and he designates them as apostles. And this next part of the passage where he kind of gives them these blessings or these beatitudes, I think it sounds very familiar to most of us who've been around church for a while, because Luke here is recording his own beatitudes, and in some way they're very similar to the ones in Matthew that we know really well in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. But Luke's recording here is somewhat different, and so it's probably not just a record of the exact same sermon that took place on the Sermon on the Mount. I think we can expect that Jesus, as he was going around the towns, as around the cities, was preaching similar sermons 
to different people in different places. If you ask uh, you know, a minister who's been giving sermons for many years, they'll tell you that they give a similar sermon, they adapt it in a different place, in a different time and place. And so I think that's what Jesus is doing here. And I, I think that because we see that Luke's recording is quite a bit different from Matthew. Jesus is not on the mountain. It actually says, if you have a look, he comes down from the mountain and stands on a level place. And that uh, is why lots of people call this the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. And also his Beatitudes, the blessings that he recorded, are different and they're shorter than Matthew's. And I think really significantly we should note here that it seems that Jesus is giving his disciples their first talk, their first kind of address after they've been designated as disciples and apostles, but before they've gone out in to the world. Kind of like how a sports coach might give his team that pep talk before they run out onto the grand final. But this pep talk that Jesus gives to his disciples is very different from the pep talk that the Panthers would have got before they run out at Sydney Olympic Stadium. These disciples, they've left their homes, they've left their livelihoods, they've left their families, they've left their jobs, their whole lives behind, they've just been designated as Jesus' disciples and apostles. And then Jesus looks at them, it says, and he says this. Have a look from verse 20. He says, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus then goes on to mirror these blessings, these beatitudes, with woes to the flip side. Woe to the rich. Woe to the well-fed. Woe to the laughing. Woe to those everyone speaks well of. And I think to the disciples in this moment, these words, these blessings would have been really, really comforting to them. If they weren't poor already, they were going to be poor because of what's just happened to them. If they weren't hungry already, they were going to go hungry because of what's just happened to them. If they weren't weeping already, they are going to weep because of what's going to happen to them. And we know that they are going to be hated. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be excluded because of their trust and proclamation in Jesus. We know that so many of them were killed for their faith. These words to the disciples that in God's eyes, although the world would probably look at you like you're despicable, you're actually blessed. I think that would have been given them confidence to be joyful in their situation no matter what's going on. And I think it would have helped them to look towards that final day where that blessing is going to come to full fruition. At verse 23, Jesus says that. He says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. So I think to the disciples that these blessings may have been a comfort. And I think to a lot of us, they may also be a comfort to us. That no matter our situation, no matter what the world perceives us, we are blessed by God. But I think for a lot of us, and for me when going through this passage... These Beatitudes can actually be a little bit uncomfortable, I think. Because Jesus here, he presents a radically different lens to view the world. 
He says that what God values, what we don't value, and God doesn't value what we value. Jesus exalts what we despise, what the world despises, and he rejects what we admire. You know, a world of haves and have-nots where those who have are blessed and those who have not are cursed, that's not a picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus turns it upside down. A world where those who are spoken well of, who everyone likes, are blessed, and those who everyone hates, who everyone despises, are cursed. That's not a picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus turns it upside down. Perhaps this week at Essendon Football Club, this was displayed for us. God says to us, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man because of your trust in the Lord Jesus. Maybe the world will hate you, will curse you, will sack you from your job, but in God's eyes, you're actually blessed because of it. He flips it upside down. He flips it completely upside down, or as I said at the beginning, I think right side up of how we should view the world, what we should aspire to, what we should seek, how we should view ourselves, the church, and ultimately how we should live our lives. This picture of what a follower of Jesus should live like, what the kingdom of God should look like, I think it should shake down our perceptions, our wants and our values all the way to the core. We need to put away our minds and our lives from what the world wants to what God's picture for how we should live is. And it's completely different to what the world says, isn't it? But when we read these, I think that they're kind of familiar, right? We know the ones in Matthew very well. Uh, You've probably learnt them as a kid growing up in church, or you've probably heard the Sermon on the Mount at different times. So we recognise them. But I think when we read them and critically think about them, at face value, they often don't seem to actually make sense. How can a poor person be blessed? How can a hungry person be happy? How can those who weep be given God's favour? To our minds, aren't the wealthy blessed? Aren't those who have full pantries and don't want for anything, aren't they the blessed ones? But that's not the nature of the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And yet if we think, I think if we think about what it means to be poor, what it means to be hungry, what it means to weep, and what it means to be hated and rejected, I think we can kind of get a glimpse of Christ's heart here when he says these things. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through those four things, and we're going to look at what does it mean to be poor? What does it mean to be hungry? What does it mean to weep? And then we can kind of get an idea of what Jesus is getting at when he gives us this picture of the kingdom. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Someone in poverty must look to others for what they need. They have no illusions that they don't have the capacity to provide for themselves or their families by themselves. In Matthew's Beatitude, he talks about poverty in spirit, that the poor recognise that they have no spiritual assets. It allows them to recognise that they need external help. Acknowledging that we have nothing that merits us to the kingdom of God then allows us to recognise that we need something else, or I'll suggest someone else, to help us be part of that kingdom. We mustn't have any sense that we are worthy to be a part of the kingdom. No, we are poor and need external help. Just as a beggar may rely on charity to give them their necessities, we rely on God for all our needs in this life and the next.
I'm sure you've heard the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Did you know that in America, about 80% of people believe that that is taught in the Bible? And yes, thank you for that look, Linda. That's a great look. I agree. And when they did a study asking Americans what their favorite Bible verse was, this was the top one, despite never appearing in the Bible. Now, in Luke 6, and I think consistently throughout the Bible, Jesus says that that is not the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian, someone following Jesus, is actually requiring external help and recognizing that we need help from God to be part of his kingdom. And only when we recognize we need help, when we are poor, then it says we will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. A hungry person seeks food, obviously. They are hoping to satisfy something deep within them. And if you're really hungry, and I experience this fairly regularly, it's the only thing that you can focus on in that moment. Hunger can be a driving force to get what we want. Now, for the disciples, they were likely to literally go hungry because of Jesus. Jesus gives them comfort that their pain is not in vain, that their sacrifice will be rewarded. For us, what does it look like to be hungry? To seek something we know we desperately need. I think it means recognizing that drawing close to Christ is a basic need for us. That it should be our primary focus, just like when you're hungry, getting food is your primary focus. To seek and to long for righteousness, to know Jesus, and to see righteousness and justice promoted in our communities and in our world. And just before we move on from hunger and poverty, I am convinced that there's a spiritual element to this, to these blessings here. But I also think there's a physical element. And I also think it's a warning to us as followers of Jesus to be wary of our attitude to money, to material things, to wealth. We should not love money and things like the world. Our attitudes should be different. We should not have the sole goal of financial security like the world. We should be different. And I think most importantly, we should not make our joy, our happiness, and our security contingent on what we have and how much of it. We should make those things, our joy, our happiness, and our security, contingent only on our relationship with Jesus. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Someone who is weeping is sorrowful. They are lamenting. They are mourning. All throughout the scriptures, this word is used to describe true, genuine repentance. And Dave actually mentioned that famous psalm before when we're doing our confession. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Jesus' vision for the kingdom, for those who follow him, for his disciples and for us is to be a people who lament and repent of our sin. Yet look forward to the day when we can laugh about it because of Christ's saving work on the cross for us. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Jesus says that those who are hated, who are excluded, who are insulted and rejected are blessed? Why? 
because they stand firm for the truth and are not afraid to proclaim the good news of Jesus, no matter the response. They are faithful to their calling. And this would have been something particular for the disciples. Their calling was going to be really hard. Jesus is telling them, be faithful to it. And as the Apostle Peter eventually puts it after this happens, being refined by fire like gold proves the genuineness of our faith. Proves the genuineness of our faith. These blessings and the corresponding woes, they're directed at Jesus' disciples in this passage. After their commissioning, Jesus gives them this talk, and it would have been a great comfort to them, I think, in that moment. Yet these paradoxical statements, as they seem when we read them, tell us how Jesus perceives the world, what his kingdom actually looks like. He flips it upside down from what we expect. It doesn't value what we value. Christ in this passage and indeed in his life proclaims that the kingdom of God is not about wealth or fame or worldly happiness, but instead is built upon a crucified Messiah. And I hope that the strangeness of a crucified Messiah is never lost on us. It's this crucified Messiah, the suffering, poor, hungry, hated and rejected son of God, who is the glorious head of the church. And we need to transform our minds and our lives into that vision for the kingdom of God. Not physical wealth, but poverty. Not full, but ready to receive. Not laughing, but ready to reflect on our failings. So I hope here at Richmond Anglican that we are a people who do not hoard for ourselves wealth and riches, but instead are generous and who instead recognise that we need external help. I hope we're a people who are ready to accept that help of others, who are ready to admit that we need help from God. I hope we're a people who come to God and we say to him, I don't have everything I need, fill me. I hope we're a people who reflect on our failings and acknowledge our deep need of a saviour. And in all this, we follow the example of the Lord Jesus, the crucified Messiah, who I'm convinced proclaims with his words, with his actions, and with his entire life that blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the weeping, and blessed are the hated. Let's get that vision into our minds. Let's pray to finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is not built upon wealth or strength or riches or popularity, but is built upon the hated, hungry, rejected, poor, crucified Messiah. Lord, please help us in our lives and how we um, show others about the gospel. Please help us to follow the example of Jesus in that. To embrace poverty, not wealth. Hunger, not full. Weeping, not laughing. To be a people who are ready to accept we need help. To be a people who are ready that we are ready to allow you to fill us with your spirit. And be a people who are ready to lament on our failings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.